0: Today is Saturday, April 2nd, 2016, uh, recording from Louisville, Kentucky. This is uh, episode three of the Building Breweries podcast. Uh, I am Michael Moeller. Uh, today we're speaking with Dan Carey. He's the co-owner and brewmaster of New Glarus Brewing Company up in Wisconsin. Uh, they are exclusively sold in Wisconsin, if, if you didn't know that already, but somehow they're they're the top 40 largest brewery in the country, so I really wanted to make sure I talked with them. If you have any questions or uh uh, suggestions, you can tweet me at md. Now we're going to head on over to New Glarus, Wisconsin, speaking with Dan Carey of New, Gla- New Glarus Brewing Company. He is the co-owner and brewmaster. Dan, how are you doing this Saturday? I'm doing well. How about you, Michael? Eh, no complaints. It's uh, it's a little bit cold up uh, over here today, but probably, uh, not the, probably not as cold as Wisconsin. Actually, what is it right now up there? Oh, it's
1: 35 degrees.
0: And windy. Yeah, we're, we've got about fifteen degrees up on you, I guess. So, um, so hey, before we get into the nuclearis uh, history, uh, can you tell us a little bit, a little bit about yourself?
1: Well, um, I have been working in the food manufacturing business my whole life. I started working in a brewery uh, when I was studying brewing at the University of California, Davis in uh, 1980. So, um, I've been a brewery all my life. I studied brewing at the University of California, Davis. I also went to the Sebel. It was a 13-week program when I took it. Uh, I was an uh, apprentice brewer in Germany for a while. And um, I lastly passed both sets of the Institute of Brewing and Distilling uh, Brewmaster Examination uh, and um, have been with my wife uh, working uh, here at the New Glarus Brewing Company since 1993.
0: Yeah, and uh, t- tell me a little bit about the process uh, of how you ended up uh, starting uh, New Glarus with your wife Deborah, because um, I, kn- I know it's somewhat unique in-, in that regard.
1: Yeah, well that's true. Um, actually, uh, right now the brewery is employee owned, uh, so we're really, uh, you, one could say, we're really not no longer the owners. But what? Well, well, I'm not really an entrepreneur at all. Uh, I'm a, I'm a brewer. I'm a technician. Uh, more, more like an engineer uh, than a business person. Uh, total, totally different mindset. But my wife has been an entrepreneur her whole life. She started her first business when she was 16, uh, and it's pretty much been. Uh, running her own businesses her whole life. Uh, so I was a, I was a, a brewing supervisor at Anheuser-Busch in Fort Collins, Colorado. And um, at that point, Anheuser-Busch had 13 breweries around the country, and uh, probably the best was uh, where I was. And normally to be successful at a, at a, in a large brewery, particularly with multiple plants, is one has to be willing to move every three years mm. Uh, as you advance up the ladder in a lot of ways, it's like the military. So, um, at that point, our, we, had, we were raising two young daughters. They were in junior high at that point, And the most likely place for me to go would be to somewhere like uh, St. Louis or Houston or Newark or Los Angeles um, to, to continue to, to move up the ladder. And in fact, I had been offered a job that would have had me travel. In engineering, that would have had me travel basically 70% of my time. Hmm. And uh, my wife said, basically, look, I have absolutely zero interest in living the rest of my life as a corporate corporate wife, uh, nor do I uh, have interest in moving to Los Angeles or Newark. You know, not, not that there's anything wrong with uh, those cities are perfectly fine for most people, but we're sort of rural people. And so she said, I wanna go back home to Wisconsin and how about I build a brewery uh, and you can run it and I'll set it up for you. Um, I'll raise the money and um, you can be a brewer and we'll, we'll live in a small town and raise our children. So um, I thought the whole thing was crazy at that <laughs> point in 1993. I figured we'd be out of business in three years. But um, uh, uh, she basically uh, put together a business plan and... Um, uh, raised the money. Uh, uh, we found some equipment at a foreclosure auctions and she successfully bid on that equipment, got the equipment. Oh, wow. So I, uh, yeah, she, uh, so we moved, we moved out here to New Glarus, Wisconsin, found an old warehouse and uh, she went about raising more money and I went and made the demolition of the equipment and working with some local farmers, loaded up on a flatbed truck that a guy had and we, we, uh, we moved it down here and installed it, and I think we, we moved to New Glarus in July of 93, and we were brewing three months later. So
0: Man, yeah, I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm i glad you kind of explained that a little bit, because I'm, what I've read before is that she, for all intents and purposes, uh, gifted you the brewery, so I was just imagining, like, Dan Carey back in 1993 going down the steps on Christmas morning and then all of a sudden, boom, there's uh, some keys to a new brewery that you now can yeah, operate. Yeah, right. So. Well,
1: um, it, it's, it's kind of, it, not, not really, but in some ways, yes, because um, I, I, of course,
0: uh, put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears <laughs> oh, into yeah. the um, construction
1: end of the brewery. I mean, it was basically me, uh, and, and uh, so she was in the office, and I was out in the brewery, so I did all the brewing. I well, I did, I did the uh, uh, with my uh, father-in-law. We we, uh, we we saw cut the floor, uh, uh, dug it out, put put a uh, put sewers, sewer lines in, mm-hmm. ran water lines, did the electrical. Uh, we built the brewery uh, and um, started brewing. So it was basically myself, and then we hired one guy, and um, I was. Business was doing well, so I was I was working twenty hours a day basically, wow. and um, yeah, it was pretty crazy. But she was also working the same, uh, uh, selling beer, doing marketing, dealing with distributors, and which, in a lot of ways, as as, as anybody who's worked in the brewery knows, that that is m- more difficult uh, and not nearly as uh, glamorous and fun as brewing beer.
0: Yeah, that, that's true. So it was
1: really a team effort.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah! Absolutely. I didn't mean to take anything away from that. Um, now, actually, back in 1993, would that would would that have made Deborah the first woman to find an operator brewery? Yes, uh, that's pretty much true.
1: She had. Uh, I mean, of course, there are there are other other. Uh, there's at least one other woman uh, who, who had um, uh, basically been. In charge of a brewery, but uh, this Deb was basically the first woman that I know of that personally um, wrote the business plan and uh, you know put together the stock offering and raised the money. And uh, so I think the short answer is yes, that's correct.
0: Okay. Uh, now going going back to the facility and, and how it was designed, can, can you kind of give us a picture of how how it might look like from from the outside?
1: Well. I came to Wisconsin. I took some time off work, and I I came to Wisconsin and t- drove around. We wanted to be in the Madison area. Madison is a uh, the capital of, of Wisconsin, and it's um it's a, a college town. It's a, a it was a good place to, to build a brewery f- for many reasons. But we didn't want to be in town, so we drove around. I drove around small towns around uh, uh, New Glarus, and I was on my way down to uh, Monroe, Wisconsin, to visit. Uh, a friend who was brewmaster at the Uber Brewery at that time, and I stopped for gas in New Glaris and found this uh, nice little town. I thought it was would fit really well. It had somewhat of a Germanic feel. It's a Swiss town uh, settled by Swiss descendants. Hmm. Um, and so we we uh, uh, said, uh, you know, this would be a great town. So Deb made some phone calls and found an old warehouse in town, a 10,000-square-foot warehouse that had been... Uh, Built in the '60s and was basically uh, uh, weeds were growing out in front of it, and nobody was renting it. So we, it was actually owned by a Swiss man who lived in Chicago, and we uh, we met with him, and Deb was able to negotiate uh, that we would get one year's free occupancy of the building in exchange for some stock, and after a year, we agreed to buy the building. So that allowed us to have a place without having to put any money down so we were able to uh have a building and uh that we would own in a year because you know a lot of breweries will rent space and lease space and that for me is a uh, something that we did not want to do that's that's dangerous to sure. be beholding to a, a landlord when you're putting lots of equipment <laughs> into a building so uh that's how we got our start uh in the village
0: of new glarus Okay, and uh, and you've since moved on from that warehouse. Is that is that correct? You've uh, you've uh, got a new yes facility. Yes, no. We we built
1: a new brewery, so that 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 warehouse still exists. We still we still brew there. That's our old brewery. We call it our Riverside Brewery because it's along the Sugar River hmm. on the north side of New Glarus, and it's a brewery that has a capacity of about sixty thousand barrels. We still brew down there. We have what's called our Wild Fruit Cave, which is fairly large cool ship uh, for making uh, spontaneously fermented beers and we have lots of uh, oak tanks anywhere from 15 to 100 barrels. Uh, So we have a whole cellar that we use for brewing spontaneously fermented beers. We make more of our esoteric beers down there, a lot of the heavily dry hopped beers, the things that require a little bit more hands-on activity. But eight years ago on the uh, south side of town, up, up on, a, on a hillside, we built what we call our Hilltop Brewery, sort of inspired by the breweries of Europe like Feinstein or, hmm. or uh, Ondex. Um, so we, we built a state-of-the-art brewery here that has an ultimate capacity of about 300,000 barrels. So we've been brewing up here for eight years. So we have two plants in town.
0: Okay, very cool. And, and it's, that's kind of like modeled after Bavarian Village?
1: Yeah, pretty much. It's kind of a combination of a wisconsin farm and a,
0: and, a, and a bavarian style okay cool all right so um you know i'm, I'm recording in kentucky right now why, why can't i get any like spotted cow in kentucky why you you all only you all only have it in wisconsin you 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 refuse well, to leave uh, the state
1: the, the short answer is is i would encourage you in kentucky to uh to drink, uh, you have uh, fine fine beers in Kentucky. Uh, we always believe that local beer is better, um, and of course, you can't go wrong with bourbon. But, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the the real reason is is that we um, when when we built this brewery, we were not really interested in being sales and marketing centric. We were not. Uh, to give you an idea, we have. More lab technicians than we do salespeople. Oh, wow. I bet that we have, uh, this year we'll do 220,000 barrels in the state of Wisconsin, and we have uh, three salespeople. So we did not want to be uh, spread thin, um, we wanted to keep the brewery small. The problem when nowadays, when you experience significant growth, like all craft breweries are, we were up twenty-one percent or so last year. Mm -hmm. That it's extremely expensive to keep up with that because you have to keep, you know, you have to keep feeding the uh, dragon, so to speak. You have to keep putting. If you have shelf space, you have to cap beer to fill that shelf space, and if you don't, somebody else will take it. So. That means that you have to constantly be in a state of construction. And construction is measured, as you approach the size that we are, construction is measured in yearly outputs of millions of dollars. So um, every year going to your bank and asking for five or 10 million dollars for a new cellar, a new brew house, uh, a can line, a new keg line, It it means that uh, you either need to extend yourself beyond your means or you have to take on investors which dilutes your ownership Mm -hmm. and uh, so by controlling your growth to a more manageable level you can do things out of cash flow you can do things responsibly with a local bank that you we have a bank that we've dealt with since the day we opened so they know if they trust us, and we're fiscally responsible. We keep things in control. Now, when you when you when you read about these um, successful breweries around the country that are taking on investors or are uh, selling uh, part of their ownership, uh, it, it means that they have to do this in order to continue to generate that type of growth. Sure. We uh, Deb had had absolutely zero interest in that because. What it, what it really amounts to is, is if you take on a, a, on a partner, uh, investment bankers, and believe me, we get phone calls from investment <laughs> bankers literally daily. What they want is, is to give you lots of money for 30%, 49%, 51% ownership in the brewery, but they want you to stay and run the brewery. And for us, that's a special place in hell. Because the last thing I want is somebody from a far-off city calling up and saying, hey, you are spending way too much money on malt. Why are you buying these expensive hops? You can use CO2 extract. I, you know, you can buy malt for uh, uh, 20% less than you're paying. Why are you paying your people so much? Why are you paying 100% of health insurance? You need to cut your cost because we, we, we certainly could do that and then Prove our profitability, but we don't want to, uh, for many reasons. So, the short answer is is it allows us to control our growth and maintain ownership and control of the brewery. Secondly, we brew a type of, we brew types of beers that are enjoyed by people in Wisconsin, so we're successful with our people Mm -hmm. because we understand the sensibilities, we understand the taste, we understand the sense of humor, we're well known in the state. People know who we are, they understand our values, they understand what we're doing, they're familiar with us as people, as a company. If we were starting to sell in Kentucky, for example, we would be one of, I don't know, 100 or 200 beers on a shelf. Right. That means that it's not, it's not a good long-term investment because People would try and say, "Oh, that was nice." I'll click it off my list, and now I'm going to go to what else is new. That's not a sustainable, uh, in my opinion, or our opinion. That's not sustainable because there's no allegiance. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, I've I, I I fallen uh, into that trap before too, uh, with that Untapped app or whatever. I find myself constantly just trying new beers, and then I'm like, oh, "Okay, well, that's nice." And then, what 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 can I have next? What's new? Uh, so I, I completely yeah, get it. I don't follow you for that, but if, as
1: a business person, I can't pay the bills
0: on that. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and you're saying you're. I mean, it's so well known in Wisconsin. I, I had a buddy that lived up in Madison for a little bit, and, um, and he was saying that he's just so impressed that how saturated the entire state is. Um, it, it's almost as uh, prevalent as as Miller or somebody. Like it's it's in every bar. It's he says it's. Incredibly impressive how how you all have managed to do that. Well, um,
1: uh, it's it is it is in the sense yes, but that that is not um, that is not because uh, of that the beer is cheap. It's uh, we have no deals. We don't give deals. We don't. A lot of breweries will come to Wisconsin. A lot of breweries will come to Wisconsin. They will uh, give money to wholesalers they will give beer away to retailers. It's very, very common. Of course, it's, it's generally illegal, but, <laughs> um, wholesalers at this point basically will say, you know, we, we have, uh, we have a thousand brands. And, uh, if you want one of our salespeople to, to, to sell your beer, um, then, then you're going to have to pay their salary. Uh, and, um, you know, most craft brewers have a reasonable markup that they give to wholesalers. Wholesalers make a really good markup. They're making, you know, 25, 28, 30% markup, which is, is extremely high. They make more money than the craft brewers do in selling the beer, but then they come back and they want spiffs, they want free things. Uh, we don't do any of that. So um, that would be, of course, the first assumption, but, but we don't. We, we spend our money on malt and hops and equipment. And were as I said, extremely fiscal, fiscally responsible. So we exist solely by the pull of the market. So much to the chagrin of the wholesalers, the beer sells. So we can go into the marketplace, go to an account, and say, "Look, you can you have whatever beer on tap. That beer sells a half a keg a week. And I know the wholesaler gave you the beer, so you think that you're. Mm-hmm. We actually have a presentation that look." A wholesaler came around, they said, hey, XYZ breweries in town, they've got this new wonderful IPA, we'll give you a keg. Uh, we have data to prove to them that that beer is going to sell a half a keg a week, less generating X profit to you, Mr. Bar Owner, but if you put Spotted Cow on tap, it will move three kegs a week. We're going to charge you X dollars for that keg, but do you see that you're going to be making more money in the end? And... Most bar owners uh, will, will look at the data and, and see that the beer sells. And so it, it's not that we um, made a concentrated effort to, to, to be that large. It's, it's, again, like I'm on a horse that's galloping and I'm just holding on to the, to the horn, <laughs> uh, trying not to fall off. Um, so... When we brew beer, whatever it is, we brew every... I don't know of any brewery, and I'll, uh, if you knew me, you know that I'm not really a boastful person, <laughs> but this is the truth. There is no brewery that makes the range of beers that we do. We brew an American-style uh, lager. We brew all the way up to um, uh, Britannomyces-infused double, uh, uh, double IPAs. Uh, Lambic style beers, old Bruins, and every possible beer in between. So we have a huge range of beers. We don't, the price for those beers is roughly all the same.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: But what we brew a batch of beer, we put it in bottles or cakes and it goes into the warehouse. We tell the wholesalers it's there and they sell it. When the row goes empty, we re-brew the beer. So we don't tell the wholesalers what to sell nor do we tell the customers what to buy. The beer goes on the shelf against the 600 other beers that are on the shelf, and it's up to the customer to grab our six-pack or to ask for our beer. And in fact, oftentimes in accounts, people won't even say that our beer is on tap because,
0: again, we're not giving them anything. Yeah, there's no incentive. have our beer, but people will ask for it. So it's simply that... There's no,
1: um, no magic to it. We brew the beer and people buy it. Yeah. That's all it is. Um.
0: Out, out of, out of that wide range that you just mentioned, what, what is your best seller? Spotted Cow. Yeah, Spotted Cow. Um, wh- where, did that name come from? I, I, I have to know.
1: Um, okay, well, um, Wisconsin is a, a dairy state and, uh, culturally, um, Every area of the country has uh, has a, has a personality. So, in your area, I don't know what, where you're at in Kentucky, but when when people in Kentucky, uh, they're known for uh, they're known for horses, for what? example, and they're known for uh, for, for for great bourbon. Um, of course, you know if you're from Louisville, it's baseball bats and Muhammad <laughs> Ali. But <laughs>
0: my my, my, my point I, I, I when, am in Louisville. Yeah. Oh, you are okay. So, yeah, you
1: know. So, um, uh, uh, when I was growing up, Muhammad Ali was my hero. So that's, but that's a whole another story. Oh. But um, what um, what uh, um, I'm driving at is is that small dairy, small family farms are the backbone of Wisconsin. They are what make Wisconsin what it is. It's a rural agricultural state. With a strong identity with the dairy industry, so um, a spotted cow, of course, ref- refers to a Holstein, or you might call it Frisians, but the black and white cows. So that is part of the psyche of our state. And it used to be that everybody had forty cows and milked, milked uh, was, you know, milked the cows. So we many years ago we had won an award for a fruit beer, Belgian Red. We went to England to receive. Um, This is right after we opened, Uh, we won a gold medal at the uh, um, Institute of Brewing and Distilling uh, competition in in, in Yorkshire, so we went to receive the award and we were driving around the countryside, it was the springtime and there were sheep everywhere, Uh, you know, the the, the stone fences and and sheep uh, with lambs everywhere, and my wife kept saying, oh my god, there's sheep everywhere, there's no people, there's sheep. Everywhere I bet people come come to um, come here and wonder what's the deal with with all these sheep, like they do when you drive around the countryside of Wisconsin, and you drive around and you think what's the deal with all these spotted cows. <laughs> then she was quiet for a second and she said, you know what, that would be a great name for a beer. So that's how the name came about and the type of beer came about. There's a there's a um open air museum, if you're familiar with that concept that has uh, uh, out in the countryside in Wisconsin, where they had collected up old farms, uh, various types of farms. Like there's a Yankee farm, a German farm, a uh, uh, African American farm, um, Norwegian farmstead. And so they kind of explore all of this immigration to Wisconsin. And you walk around this, this beautiful site and you explore these farms and we went to the German farm and there's people dressed up in period clothes uh, that are working the farm and in the root cellar of this farm was a crock of fermenting beer and I got to thinking I wonder what beer would have tasted like in the 1850s when people came from Germany to Wisconsin what would the beer have been like Mm -hmm. and that's how I modeled the, the idea of the taste of the beer so Deb came up with the name, and she told me kind of what she wanted the beer to taste like. And I, I uh, was inspired by this visit to this Germanic farm, and we came up with the beer. But it was just one of many that we were making, and it just happened to strike a chord. Yeah. I mean, we have all kinds of crazy names and crazy beers that we make, and some are successful and some aren't.
0: Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. So, hey, b- uh, before we uh, before we go, uh, is there anything going up uh, at New Glarus anytime soon, in the next few months, that you want people to know about? Any oh, events?
1: boy, we always have lots of things going on. Um, we're uh, coming out with a, a new... Uh, uh, we have open fermenters, a traditional German cell open fermenters. We make a, a, a series of heavy Weiss, Weiss beers. We're making, uh, right now, a beer called Dancing Man, which is a sort of a strong a uh, Bavarian-style Weiss beer, but we're going to be coming out later this summer with a, a, a more fruit, less spicy, less cinnamon, less clove, and more fruit, more bubblegum, more fruit-forward, hmm. golden, easy-drinking, half a Weiss called Bubbler, if you're familiar with that term, Bubbler, um, as opposed to a water fountain. And oh, okay. so that. So Bubbler is a new uh, uh, highly-fermented Weiss beer that will be coming out this summer also have a swickle beer that we're selling only out of our gift shop and we have a series of uh, lambic style beers um, uh, and also an old brewer that's made in our wild fruit cave there's always something going on
0: yeah yeah it sounds like it well Dan thank you so much for your time today Uh, I I really do appreciate it
1: my pleasure thanks for including us
0: yeah absolutely take care
1: All right.